It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hey, welcome to the Energy Question with David Blackman. I'm your host, obviously, David Blackman. And in this first episode, I want to talk with you for a few minutes just to give you a preview of what we're going to be doing around here in the weeks and months to come. Many of you will know me from my years as a contributor on energy matters at places like Forbes.com, World Oil Magazine, Shale Magazine, and at my own energy substack platform at blackman.substack.com. Many will also know me as the guy who publishes that uh, energy absurdity of the day thing at LinkedIn and, and also on my, uh, my energy Substack. I love doing those things. It's uh, the most target-rich environment you can imagine almost each and every day. So many absurd things going on in the energy space. Uh, still others of you will know me as an old oil and gas guy from my 40 years in the industry, the last 25 of year, uh, years of which were spent uh, in the realm of public policy and communications. Uh, of course, the shorthand term for that is that I was a lobbyist. Uh, in reality, though, what I really was, was the corporate guy back at the home office who managed a team of, of really good, strong lobbyists who were on the ground in various state capitals uh, every day where the companies I worked for had operations. I also spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C., personally, uh, working on regulatory and legislative issues that uh, were interrelated with our operations and, and with the Department of the Interior, uh, the EPA, the Department of Commerce, FERC, uh, and the Department of Energy, obviously. Uh, over those years, I gained a deep and, and, and abiding understanding about the many ways that uh, energy policy impacts the energy industry. I also learned that it's not possible to have a fulsome understanding or discussion about the energy business without taking those public policy questions into consideration. It's been a decade now since I stumbled into the gig at Forbes.com. That's uh, That in and of itself is a pretty interesting story that I'll share with you sometime in the future. But the focus of my writing there over the last decade has been to explore this intersection between energy and public policy. I know some people get frustrated with me uh, that most of my stories uh, reference either politics or some public policy action that's having a specific impact on the oil and gas or other parts of the energy business. When I started that writing back in 2012, the shale boom was in full bloom at that time. Um, there were two, 250, people forget it, but there were more than 250 active rigs working in the Eagle Ford shale alone in South Texas at that time. Even more than that, 
working in the Permian Basin, even though that basin was really then in kind of the infancy of its development stage. Uh, but it, there was a drilling frenzy going on out there, a lot of rigs in the Marcellus Basin as well, the Haynesville Shale, the Bakken Shale, almost 2,000 active drilling rigs in North America during that year. The main issues at that time centered around hydraulic fracturing and ancillary issues related to it, or fracking, as they call it. Uh, those ancillary issues included things like chemical disclosure of what's in fracking fluids and the flaring of natural gas uh, from oil wells in the Eagle Ford or the Permian or the Bakken Shell that had yet to be hooked up into a gas sales line. No one at that time was talking about anything called an energy transition, much less anticipating shortages of crude oil, massive exports of LNG to Europe, or even lifting the ban on exports of crude oil here in the United States, uh, an old 1970s era law that had remained in effect uh, up until that time. There was also no talk of any energy crisis, whether it be in Europe or Asia, the United States or anywhere else. It was a time of amazing energy abundance, in fact, and no one had the slightest idea or expectation that that situation would appreciably change any time in the near future. But fast forward a decade and here we are. Uh, it's all changed now. The active rig count in North America, despite the big recovery over the last year, is less than half what it was in 2012. Really, it's about a third of what it was then, something less than 700 active rigs in North America right now. We had more active rigs in 2012 in the state of Texas alone than we do nationwide today. With the lifting of the ban on crude oil exports in 2015, America has now become one of the five biggest exporters of crude oil on the face of the earth. Of course, we've also become the biggest exporter of LNG on Earth just this year uh, with the massive ramp up in our, our efforts to help Europe uh, liberate itself from natural gas coming from Russia. Of course, we're also the, still the, the biggest producer of oil and, and natural gas both on the face of the Earth, all thanks to the shale revolution. But there's an energy crisis. The, the European continent today is in the midst of a full-fledged crisis, one that's spreading across the rest of the world and threatens to become the most severe such crisis in any of our lifetimes. Uh, and that crisis is only going to get much, much worse before it gets better. Wind and solar power have been rapidly growing in recent years, but limits on their ability to continue that growth rate are becoming increasingly evident due in large part to their own dependence on an array of critical minerals uh, that are becoming uh, more and more scarce as demand for them ramps up so rapidly. Think about minerals like lithium and cobalt and tungsten, uh, antimony, this rare mineral called antimony that's in pretty much every gadget we use these days. It's amazing. All of those minerals and more are crucial to the success and growth of renewables and electric vehicles. Sadly, this energy crisis is one that's been created entirely, entirely by irrational energy policies decisions made in the Western world. It's a simple fact that the current crisis in Europe was precipitated last summer when the wind stopped blowing. 
Europe had tried to force a premature transition to renewables, uh, particularly in Germany and a few other countries in Central Europe. Uh, unfortunately, that left them uh, highly dependent on Russia for their oil and, and natural gas uh, fuel that they still needed to heat their homes and, 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 and cook their food, frankly, uh, on the continent. So they, they didn't have any, any energy security at all, even though their propaganda tried to convince everyone that they were gonna get that energy security from renewables and, and, and that just didn't work out, unfortunately. And the situation, of course, became much worse when Vladimir Putin decided to invade Ukraine early in 2022. And Putin has uh, cranked up the pressure on Europe ever since. It's amid that set of realities that I've decided to start this podcast. Seems like an odd time, but here we are. And those realities are going to be the topics of discussion in this podcast. In most episodes, my plan is to interview a guest who's playing a role in the energy space as this transition moves forward. And I'm going to provide them with the opportunity to give their perspectives on the situation. I'm going, not going to sit here and argue with them. I'm going to let them tell you why what they and their companies are doing is important to your lives. These discussions will not be limited to oil and gas, though. Far from it. In fact, my first guest in my ne next episode is a visionary CEO of a company, a startup in Austin, that is uh, uh, making an innovative technology related to extraction from lithium from brine. If it's successful, it has the, the promise to really expand the amount of brine that can be extracted from seawater and from salt water onshore. Uh, and so if this energy, it's the kind of innovation that has to happen if this energy transition is going to proceed. I'm an old oil and gas guy. There's no doubt about that. 40 years in the industry. I love the oil and gas business. I want it to be successful. Uh, I get frustrated with it uh, <laughs> because of its inability to communicate effectively uh, from time to time, but I still love the industry and I owe a lot to it. There's no doubt about that. But over the last several years, I've learned a lot about the rest of the energy universe. And that's what I'm going to share with you in addition to oil and gas. As it turns out, an old dog can learn new tricks and I'm a pretty old dog. So please stay tuned. Join us uh, for our future episodes. I'm David Blackman, and this is the Energy Question. That is all for now.